Welcome all to Parashas Vayetze 5783. All right, so let's just start with our dedication. So this year is dedicated to Chana Basperia and Le'iloi Nishmas Yaakov Ben Sion Ben Mordechai, our very close friend, B.Z. Weiss. Um, what we're going to talk about today really is Le'iloi uh, Nishmaso and everyone else. It really deals with, with our state in Olam Haba. Okay, Rafua Shlema to Tinok Ben Rachel. Rafua Shlema for Henya Bas Bracha Devorlea, who's in the ICU. They're Shluchim in the Virgin Islands. They have 13 children. She was in a terrible accident. Also, the accident in Munsey, which is literally my mother's backyard. She looked out the window and saw the whole thing. That, well, that wasn't her house. It's right. She's literally in front of that house. Um, Nebuch. Um, uh, Paula Weinberg is. Dedicating La Carsa for the birth of their first grandson, Esther Weinstein on the tenth year of her father, Chaim Zev Ben Yoel. Judy Silverman, Lazecha Nishmas, her father, Rav Yosef, Elimelech Ben Issachar Mordechai, was a noted Dead Sea scholar, Dead Sea Scroll scholar. Leah Thurm, Lazecha Nishmas, her twin sister, Rifka Bas Avram, whose 32nd year is on Friday. Rifki Youngroys, thank you, Kaddish Baruch Hu, and Rafu Shlema for Godel Yehuda Ben Razel and all of Chol Yisrael. Sarachana Silverman, in honor of her mother's 16th Yartzeit, which is today, 7th of Kit. Today's the 7th of Kislev? No. It's the 7th day? Wow. Yeta Bas Bracha. Wow. Okay, somebody just, let me just see something. Tinok Ben Sora Malka. Okay, here we go. So this is our backstory, part six. And uh, again, the Torah includes the information we need to know to fully understand what our role is and to fully understand how to get to work accomplishing it, okay? So in the description of what our role is, we have a, a lot of information about the Yaakov Asif tug of war is very important. It's not just about two brothers. It's about the forces in play in nature that are meant to be symbiotic, but are not always symbiotic. And the reason we're going to go back a little bit and look at Yaakov and Esav is because in this week's Parsha, Yaakov marries Leah. And Yaakov marrying Leah is more than just because she, wanted to marry, she didn't want to marry Esav, so Rachel stuck her in there. When Yaakov took Esav's brachas or Esav's kochos or Esav's mission in the world, he also had to take Leah, which is, was meant to be the counterpart of Esav. And it was through Leah that Esav's kochos entered Am Yisrael, but in a purified way. So you see that she had, she, well, the, the Mepharshim will go through each one. Ruuvein, who brought her the Dudaim, and Rashi points out, unlike Esav, who took whatever he wanted, and stole everything in survival mode. He Reuven only took from the that what had no owner. Unlike Asaph, who murdered indiscriminately, Shimon and Levi were defending their sister, whatever they were. Then Yehuda, unlike Asaph, who was a redhead, wanted to dominate the world. David Amelach, Yehuda was also a redhead. But he had Yefei Enayim, beautiful eyes, which remind of his mother, grandmother Leah, 
had these soft eyes because she didn't want to marry Asaph. So what we're seeing is on a simple level, okay, Yaakov is going to take responsibility for what should have been Asaph's role. We're going to go back and look at that. And then he takes Leah, so it has to be part of it because he's got to bring these kochas and tamishol because there's meant to be a balance. We started talking about a balance last week. By the way, there's a link. I'll send out these notes later, Hashem. There is a link to our class called Leah Rachel Leah, the Gra. Whenever you hear the Gra, you know it's Kabbalistic. Very deep, profound understanding of Leah and Rachel, what they mean in terms of history and what forces they are they are really manifesting. And uh, very important to understand who Leah and Rachel really are in the big picture, okay? But in any case, what we're going to do now is we're going to try to develop and build out make it very practical, okay? The idea that we started last week, very important to listen to last week's class to understand where we're coming from, the idea of tzedek, which is balance, okay? We started out last week explaining that Rambam says that Avraham, after evaluating what was going on in the world, looking at how everybody else was in survival mode, struggling for dominance, paralyzed in the grip of fear, sacrificing their children and doing whatever, gripped by desires, being into every whim, indulging. It's like a, a life of total, um, you know, lurching from desire to fear. And he saw what it did to people. And he said, you know what? This is all coming from fear of death. I don't see death. I see life. I see, I see the, that I think that I see that things die give life to the new, the next, the next generation. I see chesed. We talked all about that. And he looked for balance. And we say that in davening, Mamis there's a balance. Now, the continuation of the balance is between, um, is we're going to continue looking at this balance, looking at Yaakov. Okay. So, um, so what happens? Let's, let's, for a little background, we have the following Pasuk, which introduces the whole area of, you know, the area of the tension between Yaakov and Esau. It helps us understand it. So, you know, it all goes back to the first second, Barisha's 25, okay, where Rivka's pregnant and it says, okay, they're struggling within her. We even have a class on the deeper meanings of that. But everyone knows that Rashi says that they were struggling. One would try to come out by they passed the house of idol worship. One would try to come out when they passed the house of Torah, but the main, but the words we're going to focus on, okay, is what Rashi says at the end. Rashi says at the end, Davar Acher. Here's another way of looking at it. And forget, Rashi's job, okay, Rashi's job is to help you keep reading the Torah. So if something stops you in your tracks and says, I can't go on because I don't know what this means. It doesn't make any sense. Rashi says, I'm going to give you a way of looking at it that makes it easy. What does it mean they're struggling in her? They're fighting with each other? They're fighting what we eventually will identify Yaakov and Esau with. One wants to go this way, one wants that way. He brings a deeper meaning because it's a simple question on Rashi. Well, if one wants Olam Haza or Avodah Zara, okay, or just like getting your needs met the most uh, efficient way possible, which is basically Avodah Zara, okay, and one wants the olam haba, meaning one wants connection to God, not just getting my immediate needs met. What are they fighting over? They don't. They're you know they don't want the same things. What's that? You do you, and I do me. So Rashi says 
Okay, but there's something deeper going on here. And Rashi says, Hayumarivin, they were battling Benachlas Shnei Olamos. This is not telling you, this is, this, is not te this is different than what Rashi first said. First, Rashi tried to help you understand what it means they're in battle, okay? This is saying something deeper. This is saying, no, the deeper thing is that they're both struggling for both worlds. They're Marivin, they both want both. What that's trying to tell us is not just two people. There are two forces. One is primarily designed to be extremely capable of harnessing olam hazeh and making something out of it. Science, technology, okay? Well, everything that you can do in the physical world. One is particularly adept at that, but they also want Olam Haba. They also want the spiritual world. They also want meaning. They also want purpose. But the priority is engaging in this world with the additional ambiance spice of a little spiritual meaning so that it's not totally empty. But the emphasis, the goal is what we can get out of this world, how we could use it. But in order that we not be vapid totally and meaningless totally, we'll spice it up. We'll sort of flavor it some sort of, you know, description of how this is meaningful in a bigger picture, okay? Whereas Yaakov is designed to be a thinker, a philosopher, care about the overarching picture, the big purpose of all things, the meaning of all things, and also how to actualize it in the physical world. But the real goal is to connect to God and and express that connection within the physical world. So they both want both, but the emphasis is very different, okay? So what happens? So, ya so Yaakov, we know, um, first takes the Bechorah, he takes the firstborn. Now that's fundamentally important to understand this, okay? It's, um, Ace of claims they, he was tricked, which means that it wasn't fair. But what the Torah is trying to tell us in the big picture, is the fact that the Jewish people play the role as the philosopher kings, the spiritual leaders, it's very fair. Because the fact that Esau is willing to sell all of that for beans, okay? Meaning he came home, the Torah says he was tired. It doesn't say he was starving to death and he was almost dead. He was tired. He came home, there was an apple in the fridge or whatever, in the kitchen, okay? Wasn't the only food around. However, you know, he it, it teaches us directly how meaningless it all was. Then you're taking a, uh, you're on a big teal. You are exhausted and you are hot and you are thirsty. And you see somebody selling ice Coke, ice diet Coke. So, and you go over and you say, can I please have one? And they say, sure, $10,000. And you pay $10,000. It means $10,000 doesn't mean a thing to you or you're about to die. But it wasn't about to die. So, it's the Torah saying they we want to play this role and they don't want this role. Now, later you get to the brachos. Okay, Rivka, as we know, says, you know, uh, we got to do this. Now, don't make a mistake. Do not read in to the story. Okay, this Torah, remember what, how the Torah and when the Torah is written by Moshe at Harsinai to tell Amisrael who we are and what our mission is. It is not history and it's not psychology. And do not make the mistake of saying, oh, they had a marriage where Rishvifka couldn't communicate 
Okay, we don't know if Rivka and Yitzchak had a thousand conversations about this subject and Yitzchak said, I just don't see it your way. And when push comes to shove, Rivka just said, I got to do what I got to do. We don't know. All we know is that Rivka took action and she told Yaakov what to do, as you know, and here's the psukim we're, gonna, we're going to focus on in terms of the balance. So Yaakov takes the brachas. Now be very careful. These brachas are 100% about the physical world success and efficiency and capability in the physical world. In other words, how to harness all of the kohos of the physical world given to Yaakov so that Yaakov can take the great ideas of Torah ideas, Jewish ideas, and also has the skill and the ability, the aptitude and the intelligence, that sort of intelligence to concretize in the physical world. Okay, he's taking Asaph's role, all right? Now, <clears throat> when Asaph comes in and realizes this happened, all right, meaning when the Asaphs of the world, the Western civilization really is that what it is, um, understands that that's really their role and they're good at it. As we see, they're very good at it, okay? And they're meant to put it at the service of the great truths, okay? But they see that they were they have competition now. They're not the only ones who are good at it. So it says like this, Yitzchak sees, Esav comes in and he says, what? You gave the bracha, right? He sees Esav and he says, who, who are you? And it says, Vayecharad, Pasuk, uh, Parak 27, Pasuk 33, Vayecharad Yitzchak Harada Gedola Ad Ma'od. According to the, according to Rashi, who brings the Medrash, okay? The Medrash Tanchuma, he started trembling in that he saw Gehenim open up beneath Esav. We're going to understand that. He saw Gehenim open up before Esav. Okay, what is Gehenim? We'll stop right here and deal with that. What is Gehenim and what is Gan Eden? So we always use the mushal, the template that we can understand so many things with of the unborn child and the mother, okay? We live in this cocoon of our own where we don't really see the bigger picture, okay? If we make the mistake, of allowing ourselves, okay, to just sort of sink into that. Well, since I don't see anything bigger than my own circumstances and the world around me, then I'm going to react to it according to what makes sense to me. And I will do what I think is right and wrong. This is the whole eight of us. And we go into survivor mode, okay? This, this whole zone is called the Bechira zone. It's where we get to choose how we're gonna live, either with open spiritual eyes to see the bigger picture and relate to God as partners, and open that neshama umbilical cord flow of God's wisdom and will into our lives and channel God, that's option A, that's creative mode. Or we could just not do that and stay in survival mode where you get to the Hitlers of the world. You know, because when you combine intellect with autonomy, I get to do what I want based on how I see things with a powerful creative capacity of your telemelokim, that's what you get. And Ramam says in Monibucham 1.7, way worse than animals because malicious, there's malicious intent to harm, to dominate, to control. Okay, now we leave this domain, we leave this little cocoon. We get in the mushal, the, the, the little unborn child gets born through, how do we get born? We get born through a, a birth canal. The Mishnah calls the birth canal a kever. That is the name for birth canal in the Mishnah. Not because the birth canal is a kever, but the kever is a birth canal. 
we leave this womb and we come face to face with the mother. Shechina is female. Neshama is female. It's all these female terms. Now, that, mo that experience is either relief and joy. Like I always knew you were there. I just couldn't see you. And now not only do I see you, I see everything from your perspective. I look back at life in the womb and everything begins to make sense. And I see how all the puzzle pieces fit together. And it's called Nene Mizevashchina. And it's an ever expanding experience of like endless eternal aha moments of Das when you see things from above. That's what we call schar organetim. But the alternative is that we leave this cocoon. We lived it in survival mode, everything how I want it, according to me, okay, on my terms. And of course, Asav represents, has a strand called Amalek, which leads to the Hamans and the Hitlers of the world, which is uh, I get to dominate because I set the rules, because why not? There's nothing but me and how I see things. And I'm strong. Survival of the fittest, but might makes right. So then when we leave the womb, that moment of coming face to face with the mother is shock and horror and humiliation and remorse. It is a fire that consumes a person till they're nothing, there's, they, don't have a, they don't have an identity. They don't exist. They certainly cannot appreciate their mind that lives beyond them, cannot appreciate the das, cannot appreciate the, Niagara Falls of this flood of understanding, which is light, considered light and enlightenment and joy and radiance. They can't. They're just could be their self, their, their, their whole self is consumed in shame and horror till there's nothing left. Okay. That's called Gehenna. That's the fires of Gehenna. Yaakov sees this. He, I'm sorry, Ace of Experience. Um, no, Yitzchak. Gets sees this with Asa, okay, and it's terrifying, terrifying, okay. And he sees that Asa is completely uninterested in devoting his resources to Yaakov, and he understands that Rivka did the right thing, and he says, "I gave the bracha to Yaakov Agam Baruchia," and that's how it's going to be. Now, Asa cries, which means he regrets. He feels terrible. He sees it means that there's an understanding that there's a huge void. It's self-destructive to use our capacity to harness this world strictly as a means, as an end in and of itself to sort of, you know, enjoy it, dominate it, and then we die. It's missing meaning. It's missing purpose. It's empty. And that's why the whole world who lives in that mode is in therapy because it doesn't feel good. Okay. It's horrible. All right. This is the Tzaka Gadola Mara. It is no good to live like that. There has to be a piece of Yaakov in it. It, ha it has to be devoted to Yaakov. It can't be an end in and of itself. It can't. So it says a Ace of understands the Yitzaka Tzaka Gadola Mara. He lets out a piercing, bitter cry. This is the bitter cry of not just the cultures, but the individuals who are left feeling empty. Not know they're so powerful, but they're so empty. That's not that, that is the expression of the awareness of the bitterness of it. Okay. Now, what we're saying is that 
what this is saying is it cannot be, the world cannot operate correctly if the energy, if the force, if this world, if Olam Hazek, if our engagement in this world, okay, is not infused with some Yaakov ideals, okay, the world is uttering a bitter, bitter cry from the world itself, from nature, from disease, from everything that comes from our instrumentalizing the physical world, instead of using it as an expression of godliness, we instrumentalize it for our survival mode needs. The world is uttering a cry. The people in the world are uttering this cry. There is misery everywhere. The suicide rate is skyrocketing. Everybody is on drugs. It's This is what we're talking about. It's a bitter cry coming out of the world. But what's fascinating is Chazal, they jump on this and they say, wait, 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 we've seen this term another time by Yizak, Zaka, Gedola, Umara. Where have we seen it again? Purim. When Ace of Ahaman, okay. When, let's, let's go back. When Ace of understands that um, he's been cut out totally, okay. Cut out totally from connection to anything greater than himself cries. But who utters that bitter cry in the Perm story? Mordechai. Mordechai. When Mordechai realizes that the spiritual part of the world is being cut out, that the spiritual is not wanted, that it cannot express itself in the physical world, Esav doesn't want it, that the spiritual force that is meant to influence the world will not have any path, any, any sort of... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Any um, any influence to change to to influence the physical world? He also what emanates is a great great cry. In other words, when Amisho understand that we have lost our capacity to influence the world because we don't know who we are anymore. And so now the world will, by definition, spiral downwards into being a place of just unbridled competition for pleasure and unbridled competition in the in the effort to uh, dominate so that we could each one, you know, survival of the fittest, each one can secure their sense of self. When Amiso realizes that we are not here, that we have no influence, it's also a very, very bitter cry. Chazal say that a Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't let anything go unnoticed. Everything's balanced out. So what are we saying? We're talking about balance here. Okay, but before we start the next part, which is talking about balance, I'm going to stop for a second, not stop the recording, but open up for questions and answers for a moment. Okay, so just so we understand where, you know, we make sure we understand where we are so far. Okay, so in this room, yes. I'll repeat the question. Yes, Gehenim is the fire of intense shame. Fire means it consumes. It consumes ourselves. It consumes our sense of self. We thought, we're going to get back to this now in a deeper way. We thought that we had an identity. It was what I owned and my power and my ability to do what I want and, and force other people to do what I want and what I made and what represents me. And that's consumed. And there's nothing left. Now for, this is the, the really, the big, the worst people. Most people, 
the most good people, certainly people that learn Torah, anybody who is a Mavake Shashem in any way from anywhere in the world that's seeking God, which you see is really everybody. There wouldn't be a billion dollar therapy business if people weren't saying, I need a better way. What's the purpose? How should I live? Give me something to devote myself to that's worthwhile. I mean, that's what it is. People might not find God, but they're mevakesh. They're seeking, they're searching something. So for most people, it, that experience of coming face to face with the mother, which by the way, after a person is nifter, it, is a, it, it takes time to like get used to the new, to get reoriented and to like begin to, fully on you know like experience what's going on in the beginning we're taught as well we're going to get to that but the neshama takes time it's called the yom hadin the yom hadin is when a person starts really seeing everything from god's perspective and they begin to feel either okay for the for the time for for the effort they put into connecting and doing things sincerely and truly seeking to live in sync with god's Ratzon, and really knew what it meant to be Tzalmokim for all of those efforts there in enormous joy, relief, and satisfaction, and their mind begins to open and open, and there's one by one by one, and it's an endless thing. It never ends. That's called the neshama having an aliyah. Each time there's another aha moment, and there's and for most people that's that's gonna that's what they do. But there are the moments of shame when we slipped into survival mode, when we slipped into that blind place of just doing what I want because I want to, and that's it, and blocking ourselves off. We have shame. The, you know, there's a Gemara that says that um, the neshamas come out of Gehenna on Shabbos, which means that even in that experience of shame and remorse, there's a respite. There's a breaks of das. And we call, talk about a neshama Yaseira on Shabbos, and we talk about Shabbos being like Olam Haba. The taste of Olam Haba, you get a little bit more of that understanding and it's a relief. And even this Gehenim experience, we only say Kaddish for 11 months because it's not, it's temporary and it's cleansing. It cleanses an Ashama and they're able to begin to open their eyes to the bigger picture and to start appreciating everything they couldn't understand in this world. So yes, it's the, that's what it is. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's rehab, spiritual rehab. So when you talk about when you talk about Yaakov and Asa, when you talk about Yaakov and Asa, first of all, you're not just talking about two people and their personal story. This is all written. They're prototypes. They are ideologies. They are big movements in the world. So we're we're being told is first of all there is a recognition that Saka Gedolamar that when it's all for nothing it hurts and people will feel the hurt and the hurt will be obvious everywhere, okay? And then Asaph, you know, he tries to make friends with Yaakov later. He tries, well, we're gonna get there in the Parshios. Yeah. Yes. Something was seen or you'd still need a Yitzchak. Yitzchak experiences Gan Eden, Yitzchak experiences the there's a uh, Yitzchak smells the Ganadin on Yaakov's clothing, which is trying to say that he he knows that Yaakov's physical existence is all within the context of knowing God and channeling that he sees it. That's called smelling Ganadin. There's a lot more to talk about, but that's what it means. He said he knows it. He, he can smell it. 
And um, and he understands that that is it's it's that that has to be the context for physical, for physical you know, um, capability. It has to be in that context. It can't be divided. Yeah. Is it really shame or is it anguish? Is it same things. All of that. It's all the same. Shame, anguish, remorse, regret, horror, shrinking, in just total humiliation and whatever other words you want to say. It's pretty bad. That's why if someone's malbim pnei chavero in this world, someone makes a person go through that in this world, right? It says they have no chelik no haba. For they can't experience that pure pleasure because they are, they, they don't look at another human being. The fact that they cannot look at another human being as a tzel Kim indicates very clearly that they're in for a big shock when they meet them, you know, when they see the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't say ace of, it doesn't say he, it says Yitzchak sort, doesn't say ace of sort. It says that ace of, what it's trying to say is that ace of the Western, everyone that we identify with the West, okay, with ace of, which is the West, eventually it was the church, they emit a bitter cry. In other words, the 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 ideology causes suffering, bitterness, emptiness. It is going to lead there, and it know and it it, it 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 that is the and it knows that it can appreciate how painful it is to live like this. Okay, yes. when we were in Italy with the greatest tour guide ever, Roy Dolinger, who wrote this fabulous book that Tanya got me called Secrets of the Sistine. Um, we learned a lot about the church and the early church um, really was pure 100% survival mode with exactly with the ambiance of it being religious and spiritual, but it was not. It was all domination, all power, all pleasure. I mean, the jewels in the Vatican and the riches in the Vatican make the Queen of England's stuff in the Tower of London look stupid, okay? You cannot imagine what they had. It was all the same thing, but sprinkled with a little flavor of spirituality, which really wasn't, and people suffered terribly in the Dark Ages. Terribly. Yeah. Interesting. 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 Okay. Elias Hanashama fading in and out. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, I'll try to stay straight. The Elias Hanashama is the aha moment. Every new aha moment. Okay, let's continue. Guys, I'm not going to mute you, but just make sure there's no noise in the background. Now that we got this, okay. Oh, where'd it go? You're right, it's inside. I'm so sorry, but that's for that. Um, okay, hold on. Let's put it here. Everyone tell me if it runs away. <laughs> okay. From your, it's, if it, you were here. Yeah. Inside. It can be here inside and it'll work. And this is coming from your mouth. Okay. This is, you put a microphone here. Really? Here. Okay. Hopefully, let's see if this works. You think this will work? You think? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I look like an, yeah. Uh, it fell. Okay. Okay. So let's do a, let's do like this. Okay. Looks a little crazy, but we're good. Okay. So let's go deeper now. Okay. The balance. So last week we started talking about the Kavat Sedek, that everything has to be in balance. The word Sedek, let's just understand it very carefully. What is a Tzadik? 
A tzaddik is a person that consistently keeps the balance. Okay, they don't veer. In, they're not a chassid that veers all the way to the extreme to go They're not veering off. They are always doing everything right as correct. And therefore making, you know, they are, their physical and their spiritual are in balance. Okay. How do we know that's what it's tzaddik? Because we learned this many times when the Torah speaks about weights and measures. The Torah refers to the weights and, and measures as tzedek. In other words, a evan tzedek is a stone or a weight that has a precise measurement and you can always use it to make sure that when you put it on a scale when you whatever you put on the other side of the scale someone wants a pound of flour you pile it up right you put the stone and it's exactly balanced precise okay what is sadaka it's very important to understand sadaka okay sadaka we think it's an act of generosity no it is not sadaka umishpat and we've also learned this. Mishpat is pure justice. And for this is going to help us understand tzedek, tzedek, tirdo. Mishpat is justice. The letter of the law. Okay. So the famous story, again, David HaMelech, classic story in the Gemara. A, a tenant comes and says, a landlord comes and says, he hasn't paid rent in six months. I can't pay my bills. I, uh, my kids are going to get thrown out of school. Like I, He has to pay rent or he has got to get out. And then the tenant says, what do you want from me? you know, my wife is sick and I lost my job and what should I do, sleep on the street and I have no money and I have no family. Okay, what are you going to do? So mishpat, the letter law says the tenant has to pay the landlord. That's the mishpat. But tzedakah, which is not kindness, tzedakah demands that there be a balance. Yes, it's socialistic, 100%, that this person should be able to pay his rent because everyone else has to take responsibility that no one should be homeless and no one should not have medical care. It's it's not kindness. It's just, it's called tzedakah. It's required that there be a balance. So David Melech would say, you need to pay the landlord and here's the money to pay. It's a requirement that things be in balance, that there should not be people have everything and people have nothing. It's not allowed to be like that. Even, tzedek, 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 my father used to say, even, two tzedeks, even the first tzedek, I can justify myself to the world. I can say, look, I have a million dollar car. I bought it with my money that I made honestly. You know, that's it. I'm allowed to do it. So no one can say that I can, I'm doing the wrong thing. I can justify myself. Tzedek is to justify that everything's in balance, right? In fact, when you write a document, you hit justify and all the margins go straight, right? Okay. But tzedek tirdo, pursue balance means, yeah, I could justify myself to the world, but I also have the responsibility to justify the world back to me. Like, is it okay that someone has everything and someone has nothing? And is that okay? No, it can't be okay. So absolutely, the Torah is socialistic on many levels. It's also capitalistic. There is no such thing as a Jewish country or state or government that would ever allow people to not have housing, not have healthcare, not have basic needs. No way. Okay. Now, let's go further. Okay. What about it? I don't know the right word. Social capitalism. That's America. Yeah, that, but I don't know what tzedek. I don't know the right word for tzedek in English. It's not justice and it's not kindness. It's balance. It's balance. It's the balance. Yes, it's the balance. Okay, now let's go deeper. We talk about the balance 
between you know the circumstances of different people, but let's go deeper. Let's go back to Yaakov and Esau, the balance between Olam Hazeh and Olam Haba. Let's talk about that, okay? That is of utmost importance. How are we supposed to set up for ourselves a correct balance of Olam Hazeh and Olam Haba, okay? So Yaakov gets both. So Yaakov is meant to show us how you do it, how you do it, okay? So in this physical world that we're in, we have physical bodies and everything around us is physical. And we have an invisible neshama and an invisible sort of spiritual identity, all right? And that spiritual identity is supposed to inform how we live our physical lives. And it's supposed to infuse our physicality with ruchnius, which is why a body, a human body has because mitzvahs are done through it, okay? And that is our experience of the fusion of Ruchnius and Gashmius in this world, okay? The, there is a danger, okay? The danger is that we go out of balance, okay? And we allow our physical identity, our bodies, our possessions, okay? Everything, you know, our home, whatever is physical, we slip into allowing all of that to be the definition of who we are. So now the problem is that when we die and we go through the kever, the birth canal, and we come face to face with the mother, okay? We said the neshama goes through a period of transition, getting used to being a disembodied soul. What does that mean? It means when we die, we are 100% who we are. In other words, imagine someone who got their legs amputated. Okay, they're the same person, but they don't have legs. Imagine they got their arms amputated. They're the same person. They don't have arms. Imagine if the whole body was amputated. You're still you, like a thousand percent your humor and your values and your understandings. It's all there. Which is why, interestingly enough, when we go to a shiva house, not only are we comforting the mourners, we're actually no say baal with the with the nifter. We're there to sort of help them go through the transition of getting used to being a disembodied soul, and that's why we cover the mirrors in the house because the neshama sort of is getting used to like figuring out like who it is because it's so used to identifying with the body that it kind of looks at its body, but it can't go back. And the body they see now is just like an empty shell, but it's not used to operating the world of pure das. So it's sort of like goes back to, looks at its body, looks at the shiva house, looks at, at, the, at the mother and like, it's getting used to it. And we cover the mirrors because the neshama, we say, the, uh, the person is sort of there. They look in the mirror and they don't see their body. It's very disorienting. So we're no say ba'ol in the with the neshama. We're helping the neshama orient and get used to leaving the body behind and like just feeling comfortable and natural in a world of just of das of Hashem's yidia of Hashem's what we call ziva shchina. And that's why we say beautiful things about the neshama. And that's why we say and Baruch Hashem, the Jewish way is so healthy. Because as soon as that body is laying in a box, we're like, put it in the ground and get rid of it because we are not identifying with it. We're helping the neshama separate. Now the Gemara says, 
if a person identified with their ideas and their values and the inflow through the neshama umbilical cord of Hashem's wisdom, and Rav Yeshebir Salvation called it a mind meld, and how we think melded with Hashem's ideas, so that's our, which is our neshama. If a person identified with their neshama was doing mitzvahs and learning and davening because they were way, they understood what they were part of, they were trying to channel it, then separating the neshama from the goof is like they say pulling a hair out of milk, easy peasy, no big deal. However, there's something that the Kabbalim talk about. I read it for the first time so many years ago, never left my mind. I mean, when I, you know, going into this area by Revaria Kaplan in If You Were God, he introduced me to this idea, which is really from Rav Chaim Vital, which is Talmud of Arizal, called Chibut HaKever. Let's just be very straightforward and honest here. Chibut HaKever is that when the person's identity is too entangled with their body, okay, it has to be separated. And the person has got to let go of the body, but it's very hard because they identify with their body and with their stuff. So the chibura kever is a muscle, like you got to shake it out, which means that this the person, the neshama, the ani, the person who's like entering this world is not comfortable. It's part of like the Gehenim thing. Like just, they're not in this state of joy and relief and like, openness, they're still obsessed with their body. And as the body decomposes, the neshama is going through enormous pain. It can't handle it. It doesn't know what to do with itself because it doesn't have, it's really not comfortable. It really never built any sort of keili. It never made itself into a keili to just open itself up to understanding. It wasn't about understanding. It was about having stuff. So, head, yes, yes, Asaph's head. Good, good point. So the neshama goes through what's called chibut hakever, very painful. So, what that means in real life is, it is a terrible, terrible, tragic error for people to invest more and more in the body. Okay, in identifying with the body it means you we are well groomed, we are clean. We are healthy, but when the body becomes our identity and we start investing money, and you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> in maintaining a certain look, youth or whatever, it is the most horrible mistake a person can make. It will cause enormous psychic spiritual suffering. It is it is it is a it is, a, it is a tragic error because the reason that our bodies age and we our looks start fading and our youth starts fading is to help us stop identifying with our bodies. To fight that, to invest in maintaining a certain look, to pay billions of dollars, to do invasive procedures, et cetera. It, there is no, there's probably nothing worse a person can do to themselves. It is a terrible mistake. In other words, we want to be able to merge into the Olam HaMS. We do not want to be stuck, miserable, not knowing how to handle the fact that our bodies are disintegrating or our possessions are given to someone else. Okay, This is called Chibot HaKever. Let's go a little deeper even deeper. 
The reasons our body goes into the grave to disintegrate is in order to separate the neshama from the body. Certain people, their bodies don't disintegrate. That seems to be, I didn't do enough research, but there's reports that this is true. Okay, let's go deeper. The Ramchal says, now we're going really deep. When you hear Ramchal, we're going somewhere else completely. Okay. The Ramchal says in Das Tavunas that the balance between physical and spiritual, okay, it keeps going. In this world, as we said, we have a body which we're supposed to infuse with Ruchnias and it's supposed to be a Kaili to use for Ruchnias and that's it. And when it's over, we get rid of it and that's it. No big deal. We don't hang on to it. Next, because we're fully alive. You know, BZ, our good, good friend BZ. Anyone here know BZ West? He was a huge personality. He used to come to, he was, he used to speak. He was bombastic. He just spoke two months, three months ago. My daughter's Sheva Brachas. He was bombastic, funny, brilliant, his stories inspiring. And the best thing that someone said at the Leviah, that's a very Reisman, you know, from, from Flapper, she said, Beezy, save me a seat next to you up there because it's going to be Lebedic. <laughs> Which means we understand that. It's really, it, and that's the truth. But, uh, and then everyone else said, me too, me too, whoever got <laughs> The point is that the Ramchal says, so here, that's what, how we handle our bodies, okay? But after dying and our bodies disintegrating, we have something called Chiyas HaMesim. And then we have something called Olam Hanashamas, and it's, we cannot understand or define what it is, but Ramchal gives us a little clue. And with technology today, we sort of can visualize it. Because here, our bodies are really like thick, physical, and our neshamas are like ethereal. But what happens in the future, when the, when the spiritual and the physical reunite, but the spiritual is everything. The ruchnius is our full identity. There's a reunion of ruchnius and gashmius, but it'll be the exact inverse of what we have here. Meaning our whole essence will be ruchnius with a very thin veneer or membrane, like some sort of translucent physical membrane of Gashmius that will allow the Ruchnius, which is the full identity of the person, shine through, which gives reminds us what it says about Adam. Remember that after the sin, which is going into the real Gashmius, identifying Hashem gave them clothing of skin. And then the measure says, says, clothing, not R with an I in skin, R with an olive, light, that really a person ultimately can have a garment of light. We don't know what this means. You know, today in artificial, you know, intelligent, you know, virtual reality, you can create an avatar that sort of, you know, does what you, there's, we can already see that there is a way that our physicality is like a thin veneer it's just, it's not really what we experience today. By the way, science knows today that all of matter is really just energy and motion. So perhaps like that, we see just energy waves and, you know, some little tiny aspect of physicality, okay? But it's essentially ruchnius. And this explains the so-called transition of Elio Navi. What happened to Elio Navi? Remember, he went up in a fire. What does that all mean? He went, he didn't die. Clearly his body, his physical body didn't go up. Obviously can't, ex you know, it doesn't, bodies are for Olam Hazeb, but this is what it's talking about. That he's able to exist. Elio is the example. He is the model. He is the proof that this will be the case. This is what will be. Elio is the example. 
that he exists in some sort of unity of Ruchnius and some veneer of Gashmius, whatever that means. And it can move effortlessly between the two dimensions. So whatever that means, okay? I don't know. I'm just letting sort of giving you a way to think about it. So when we talk about the Tzaka Gedola Umara, we have to understand that the bitter cry comes from A, physicality being disconnected from Ruchnius. That's, that's right. Or when Ruchnius cannot express itself in the physical. When we don't let the Ruchnius express itself in the physical, when the physical takes on a life of its own, an identity of its own, a draw, you know, driven by its own need to survive. This is a bitter cry. Saka Gedola Omara. And as we know, Esav, uh, his head is buried in the Mars Machpelah. Which means, that means that in the end, in the end, Esav will devote itself and all its physical capabilities to Yaakov. In other words, there is times, there's an, the Gemara gives an example, with this we're going to end, of when there was a perfect symbiosis between Esav and Yaakov. And today, for example, all of the technology, all of the advancements, all of science, when we use it for Torah, okay, the internet for Torah anytime, like for today. When we use it for Torah, this is how it's meant to be. It's meant to be that the that that the you know the, those in the world that have the ability to devote themselves to making the most out of everything in the physical world, they happily and willingly put it at the service of Torah ideas. This is the future, and anybody who does that, any of the ace of people who do it. And uh, you know who 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 devote themselves this way or or support this. Of course, this is the, this is what Yitzchak had in, in mind. This is the perfect symbiosis of Yaakov and Esav. This is the unity that's supposed to be. In the end, because we Yaakov had to take you know had to cut Esav out, brought in Leah. Remember that first Leah brings in the kochos of Yaakov through Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. And then she has Yisachar and Zavol, and that's Yaakov and Esau. So, Be'ezra Hashem, for ourselves, for the world, we are aiming for this balance. This is, mo when the Torah is writing this, is telling Amishol, who are about to say, Nase Venishma, Nase Venishma. We will do, and we will understand. Meaning, what we do will be infused with our understanding of its true purpose. We will not separate what we do, Asiya, Esav, and what we hear. Okay, and what we know, what we understand. This is the balance. Okay. Yes. Quick question. Could you repeat her question? Yes. Yes. But then if that's the case, then that's not a great idea anyway to begin with, because you're telling me that that Esav on his own, even though he was into the materialism, that wouldn't have been good anyways, because it's still that he didn't bring in any spiritual. No, no, he was meant to. In other words, Yitzchak, by giving Esav the bracha, because I'll, you know, different Mepharshim explain, Yitzchak, like Avraham believed in Yishmael, Yitzchak believed in Esav. He believed that he could be inspired. And he could devote himself to Yaakov. And Rivka said, I know you wish that would happen, but it's not going to happen. Not yet. So that's what it was. It was only, you know, the Yitzchak was giving the bracha with the assumption 
that Asaph could be inspired and would want to be inspired. But then when he sees Gehenna and he realizes that Asaph is consumed, there's nothing left because there's nothing connecting it to Ruchnius, he understands. But Asaph eventually comes around. Yeah, like Yishmael. Yeah, okay. So did you hear the question, guys? She was saying why, you know, just clarifying really the balance. Yes. Uh, born to be uh, made of... No, no, they're born to Leah. Yes, that was when Leah, after she had, after Leah had Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, and Yehuda, right? And she stopped. And then that whole thing, and then she has Yisachar. Okay. So, maybe Yisachar what And Yaakov would be. They're the prototype for Yaakov and Esau. And even those women blessings. Yes. Yes, correct. They were in, by the way, very important. Yisachar and Zavulun, partnership. Yisachar says, um, Zavulun says, I'm going to Please go. repeat what she's saying. Yisachar and Zavulun being really the prototype of Yaakov and Esau. Just adding an interesting little thing, tidbit here for fun. So Yisachar and Zavulun have a partnership. In other words, Zavulun is going to work to support Yisachar. Yisachar is going to be the, the thinker Okay, the spiritual idea man. And then Zavulun is going to support that so that, um, you know, because it's so valuable. By the way, Rambam had that relationship with his brother. He had a brother who killed in a, he died in an accident at sea. Now, why have one very interesting thing? One interesting little tidbit. You know, you ever heard stories about someone who said, I'll buy your Olam Haba. Okay, that's ridiculous, and obviously you can't do that. But, but if a person makes an arrangement before somebody earns a and says, "I let's make an arrangement, I will support you so you can learn, and I'm going to get half of that benefit, that scar, you could do that. But after somebody already learned and says, can I buy your Olam Haba? That's just no. And it's wrong, and also it's considered very, very, you know, not even a lot of talk like that. Okay. Bechora? What the Bechorah is a very different. Well, okay, you are right. There are questions about how do you buy something that's called She'ena Bala Olam that hasn't come to the world yet. There's a whole machlokus about that. But in short, okay, um, Yitzchak, Yaakov is buying the position, in other words, of taking over the legacy of, of Yitzchak. Normally, the father's legacy goes to the oldest child. Notice, of course, that every single Bechor in Sefer, Bereshis, loses their position clearly we are not this is not nepotistic we are a meritocracy okay if you are the with uh, also the office by the way if you carry on in the same way if you build off the uh, this chus or of the of us then you get the cumulative effect of it but in any case the only one who doesn't lose their bachora is a nation that was never the Bukhar, Am Yisrael, we weren't the first nation, but we earned the title of Bini Bukhari because what is a Bukhar? Bukhar is quasi-parent, quasi-child, meaning we will, um, it, it represents the values and the standards and the goals of the parents to the children, but also part of the child. So this is the Bukhar, Am Yisrael take on that role. So you could, so Yaakov and Esav, or the Torah is telling us that Yaakov made it super clear that I care about these things and you don't. And then it says, remember it says about Esau, by Vayochal, he ate, he drank, he got up, Vayivaz Esau and he mocked the Bechorah. He made it, it's not, it's not ambiguous. 
He wasn't interested. No, it wasn't trick. Now later there's trickery. Now later it gets tricky and there's a whole, you can listen to Y.Y. Jacobson about the trickery and how it came back in Yaakov's life. It's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Esther, can I ask you something? What? <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, um, What'd you say? Why couldn't Yisachar's wife work? Okay. Oh, funny. Right, like now. These best jokes. Um, okay. <laughs> Have a great Jibizi Weiss joke. So, yeah. He says he, he used to be in the Permshville. Does anyone remember him from the Permshville near Goda? So there's a Meshulach, and he meets somebody in the airport, and the, the, the guy they're talking, he says, no, so... Um, you, you know, you're raising money for the kolal. You have like, you're, you're helping people enter into your sachar and relationship. He says, yeah, yeah, it's a big zuchos. So, so let me ask you a question. You know, how, how is the money divided? You know, how much for the kolal, how much for you? So he says, it's uh, 70, 30. He says, really? The kolal gets 70% and you get 30%? He goes, no, no, no. The kolal gets 30%. And you get 70 and I get 70%. So then he says, well, what about your expenses? What about, you know, every, the plane ticket? He goes, well, that comes out of, uh, that comes out of the 30% for the colel. So he says, but then there's nothing left for them. And he goes, yeah, let him get a job. <laughs> anyway, Yafa. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay. On, on, on the yeshivas. And by the way, I'm teaching in a Hasidic seminary. So I had a, um, an, an opportunity to talk about Sarashnira, and it's very important to understand. Sarashnira is not the mother of women's education, Beis Yaakov's, every Torah Jewish women's school. She's the mother of all the yeshivas, because if there'd be no girls who want to sacrifice for Torah, there wouldn't be anybody in yeshiva. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Okay, so, so they, owe, they owe her a lot. Um, every, we owe her everything. Right. Yeah, so, okay, so Asav. Take care, everyone. Good job. You know, when 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 Yitzchak saw that, you know, Gehenim was, you know, hovering all around, you know, when Asaph came in, yes. so and he let out this cry, and he actually had tears. So then, even though he was, you you claim he was completely disconnected, he only wanted the benefits of the material winning, or he, or the, no, the no, no. Or he, didn't, he didn't really want it at all. Like, no, I'm saying something else. Even though he. Gave up the the Bechorah, okay? Even though he gave up the Bechorah, still understood, okay, the disaster of being cut out totally, of having this, you know, some sort of spiritual purpose in his life. That being cut out of that, the Torah is expressing that he... It's very clear what the what the what the problem of that is and what the tragedy of that is. Does that make sense? Even though yeah, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to live a life of Yaakov. Okay, just give me one. He doesn't. He doesn't want to live a Yaakov life, but he also doesn't want to admit and accept that the life he chose has zero meaning. So this was this was real regret. That is that he did have a regret. I don't, um, maybe you want to say there's regret, but I think what the Torah is really trying to say is the pain, the absolute sense of shattering and, and deep emptiness that comes from realizing that if I opt out, I'm really out and I can't claim that there's any, you know, deeper 
deeper, you know, um, what's the word, you know, value to what I'm doing. I have to accept the emptiness of it, which is why that pain is, I think, reflected in when people finally go to rehab and go to get themselves help and they, the emptiness is that they admit the emptiness. You can't just have, you know, a life devoid of purpose. You don't need to hold that in. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Isn't that the drive behind the um, Chuva movement? Behind the what? Yes, the Chuva movement. Exactly. Hold on. I'm stopping the recording, huh? Yeah. I'm stopping the recording here for a second because it's going to be too long to post. Okay.